Our scripture reading this morning comes again from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to support, serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I didn't burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I don't love you? God knows I do. And what I'm doing, I'll continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's an honor to be uh, with you this morning, sharing God's word with you. I want to share a little story with you as I begin, and uh, it's a story that for many of us, uh, unfortunately, might be uh, a little familiar uh, to us. There was a woman, uh, she was 87 years old. Uh, She was in her home uh, one afternoon, and the phone rang, and she answered the phone, and on the other end of the line... Uh, was a voice that was garbled and hard to understand. It was rushed and choppy. Uh, And the caller uh, said that it was her grandson and that uh, he had taken a sudden trip uh, out of the country. But his voice on the other line cried out, Grandma, I'm I'm in trouble. I need your help. Uh, And uh, he said that he had been arrested and was uh, in a terrible situation. He was in jail and he was awaiting trial and he hadn't done anything wrong, but that he needed some money to get out, to be released, and so he could come home. And so this woman, 87 years old, uh, anxious, hearing about this uh, from her grandson, ready and eager to help in any way she could. And so she said, well, what, what, what do I need? What do I need to do? How do I help you? And so this person on the other end of the line gave some specific instructions Uh, on what to do. She was to go to her bank, and he named the bank, even knew 
what bank was hers and that he was uh, that she was to put five thousand dollars on a visa card and she was to put it in an envelope and bring it to uh, an ATM just outside of uh, the grocery store that she frequented and went to on a regular basis of which he also knew uh, the name so this grandmother dazed confused begins to take action she drives to the bank and goes to the teller and is nervous and anxious and starts asking well I need this money my grandson's in jail and I got to go do all this and uh, thankfully on this account uh, she had a cosigner and the cosigner was her daughter and so before this teller would do anything she called her daughter and said hey this is what's going on I need your permission to do this and the daughter uh, instantly felt uh, something's off here I smell something a little bit fishy. Uh, I'm going to uh, come up to the, the bank myself. And so she hurriedly comes to the bank uh, and begins to ask more questions and uh, lets her, uh, this is her mother, know that, no, 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 your grandson, my son, is here. <laughs> He's in the States. He is nowhere uh, outside uh, of the country. Uh, he is quite safe. And so it became clear that all of this was a scam. A scam to uh, take advantage of this vulnerable woman. And as I share this story, I hope all of us uh, feel a sense of sickness in the pit of our stomach, uh, thinking who in the world would do something like that, right? Uh, And to be uh, suckered in like that, this grandmother felt terrible that she was one step away from uh, doing all of this uh, for nothing. Well, friends... The Corinthians, according to Paul, were being led astray in the same manner. They were being led astray from the truth. Uh, They were uh, being corrupted, as it were, by false teachers. You see, how does being led astray even work? You don't don't just get led astray um, knowing about it. It happens because it's happening uh, unaware to you. That's how, it, that's how it takes place, is that you don't even know. You're thinking you're heading in the right direction, just like this grandmother thinking, I'm doing everything to help my grandson, only to find out this is a complete scam. Uh, and that is how we are taken advantage of, and Paul absolutely hated that for the church that he had poured so much into. And so he says, uh, so in verse 2, when he says, I feel a divine jealousy for you. Because I, I betrothed you to one husband, that you might be pure, that you might have pure and sincere devotion to one, to Christ. And yet others are coming in and leading you astray. Well, my friends, this, true, uh, this can be true for us as well. We can be led astray uh, from the truth. And so this morning I want to share just two things with you uh, to protect ourselves from being led astray. Uh, to, to protect ourselves, we need uh, really two things. One, we need to be able to sense what's going on. We need to be able to smell the rat, if you, if you will, uh, to be able to say there's something off here. Uh, and the second thing is we just need to know what the truth is. We need to know where home is. And so uh, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So first, I want to share with you uh, the allure of a false gospel, the allure of um, a false gospel. This is what Paul is talking about in verse 4. He says this, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit uh, from the one that you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the gospel that you already accepted, you're putting up with it readily enough, he says. Another Jesus, 
a different spirit, a different gospel. This, I would all say, comes under the umbrella of a false um, gospel that Paul was trying to protect them from. And so to talk about what it is to be allured in this way, I want to talk about three things uh, uh, under the allure of a false gospel. And that is the men who preach a false gospel, the manner in which they preach it, and the message uh, that they preach. So, who are the men of this false gospel that are so alluring? Well, verse 5, Paul says this, Indeed, I I consider that I'm not in the least inferior to who? These super apostles, (laughs) Paul says. Paul is no stranger to sarcasm and uses it again here uh, to, to let us know uh, these super apostles that uh, cr- the, the Corinthian church was uh, apparently very obsessed with. Were, these were men um, who thought that they were above everyone else. Uh, super apostles who uh, thought that uh, they were preeminent, that they overestimated even their own merit, their, their own ability. These men were great speakers Uh, They were someone that you would be proud to come and listen to uh, every week. Uh, They were convincing. They were persuasive. They got paid lots of money to do what they did uh, because in Corinth, that would have been the culture uh, that you paid good money for the person who spoke to you because the amount of money you paid showed the value of the message that the person came with. And so to to, to pay them nothing meant you valued them little. And so these super apostles would come and demand lots of money, and the Corinthians loved to pay them. They were proud of who these men were that were coming, um, and they wrapped up their message in, uh, you know, frills and fancy uh, sayings. Um, and you can tell that uh, they, were, uh, they had probably given themselves this name of super apostle. Because you see, apostles, a true apostle doesn't have to proclaim it. You know, it's like when someone says, uh, when someone brags about who they are and has to tell you who they are, they probably aren't, right? Uh, If you have to tell everyone you're a super apostle, you're not a super apostle, okay? And that was what was going on for uh, the Corinthians, but they they love to be able to give that uh, title to them. And so in verse 13, Paul calls them out. Paul says, these are false apostles. These are deceitful workmen. They're disguising themselves, uh, wearing different clothing, if you will, as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Man, Paul holds no punches. calls these people who are coming and sharing uh, a different gospel, a different Jesus, he says, listen, they are servants of Satan, nothing less. So now, these men uh, who come and proclaim this false gospel, what is the manner in which they, pre- they proclaim it? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? What does this, this false gospel uh, look like? Well, I would tell you this. A false gospel looks really good, it sounds really good, it tastes good, it sounds like the truth, Um, it's very crafty and deceitful, um, and it has elements of the truth, but it's not the whole truth, right? So in verse 3, that's why Paul says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will lead you astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So Paul compares the deception of a false gospel to uh, Eve being deceived by Satan at the very beginning of humanity. So how did that happen? Because we need to understand this, to know what it feels like. How was 
uh, Eve deceived. Well, it happened like this, right? Uh, Satan comes to Eve and says, hi, Eve, I'm Satan. Just want to let you know, um, I'm in com- competition with God. Um, God, I know he said this, but I'm going to tell you something completely different. Um, will you come and worship me? Because I'm a lot better. Is that how it worked? No, right? If it had been like that, what would Eve have said? No, I don't, I don't need that. But how did, how did Satan do it? He comes and he asks Eve a question. Did God really say that you can't eat of any fruit? in the garden, of any tree. So what does he do? He asks a question and he's, he's conniving and he's a liar. It's not a curious question, like he doesn't know the answer, right? He's doing this so that he can sow seeds of doubt on the truth. And so Eve, in that moment, she corrects him. Uh, she says, well, no, 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 God, God didn't say that. He said, we, can't, uh, eat from, uh, we can eat from all the trees, but we can't eat from one. The one in the middle of the garden, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and God told us, if we eat of that one, we will die. So now Satan, armed with a little more information, is going to twist the truth just a little bit again, right? What, is, what does Satan say to her? Oh, Eve, you won't surely die. God just knows that if you do this, your eyes will be opened and you will be like him, right? And so Satan took the truth uh, of what God had told Adam and Eve, and he twisted it again just a little bit uh, and said, no, you won't really die. And in a sense, Satan was right. She didn't die. She didn't fall down face first uh, right when she ate of the fruit. What happened, though? It was far worse than that. She plunged all of us, all of humanity forever uh, with Adam and Eve together uh, into spiritual, uh, emotional, physical death. And that is what it looks like uh, to be deceived by a false gospel. Looks like the truth. Looks appealing. Looks like something you want to take a part of until, just like that older woman that I just spoke about, until you're so far down the road that you don't even know what's happening. This is what it is. This is the manner of a false um, gospel. So now, the men who come and proclaim it, super apostles, uh, the manner in which they come is with deception and lies so much so that we can't even tell what's happening. So what's the message? So in order to protect ourselves, in order to not be led astray, what's the message? What, are the, uh, what, what is the, the content of, this, of a false gospel? Well, I would tell you, unfortunately, there's many of them. I can't possibly talk about all of them right now because uh, a, a false gospel is any just ticking of the truth away from the, uh, of where the truth is, just a small uh, degree away, and all of a sudden we find ourselves worlds away from the truth if we follow it out. So I just wanted to name a couple of these uh, for you so that we can be aware, so that we can protect ourselves. Uh, The first uh, false gospel I want to share about is a works gospel, a works gospel, a religious um, gospel. I would put forth to all of us in this room, this is the most prevalent uh, false gospel there is. And I believe it's the most destructive and the most crafty uh, in the way that we experience it. What does it say? This, this gospel says you got to do good works uh, to be accepted by God. Wrong. But we believe that. We think we, we, we kind of mix a little Jesus in there and say, well, Jesus, you know, he provides a little bit of forgiveness, but not all of it. And I've got to kind of work in order to uh, uh, get God to accept me. Right. And so it's Jesus plus some of my stuff. My good works equals my salvation and my sanctification, my growth. And we see this all throughout Paul's letters. That Paul would come and preach this simple gospel. And then others would come and say, no, 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 that's too good to be true. Let me tell you what it really is. 
It's Jesus plus this. It's Jesus plus that. And so, um, and so we see this throughout uh, uh, this, this false gospel. But this, this gospel also says, not only do you have to do some good work to earn God's love in the first place, you got to keep doing good work in order to keep his love. And so it's not just a, a one-time deal. This is how we uh, come to God on a regular basis. And I would say that it's that part that captures a lot of us, that leads us astray, right? So when we, uh, when we share with each other, you know, read the Bible and, and pray and come to church, um, we're doing all these things from a wrong motive, a different place, right? We try to do these things well, but we fail, we get tired, we feel guilty, and we try again, and we fail. And, and in all of that, we begin to think, God must not love me, right? False. It's a false gospel. Now, let me be clear. Reading the Bible, praying, coming to, to worship, um, loving our neighbors, these are a part of the Christian life. This is a part of our faith, but here's the difference. The false gospel says, I am working for God's affirmation. I'm working and doing those things so that God will love me a little bit more than he did yesterday. A true gospel, God's gospel says, no, I am working from God's affirmation of me. I'm working out of uh, what God has already done for me. That is the gospel. The false gospel would say, I'm working to get an identity. God's gospel says, I'm giving you an identity. You can live out of that. Totally different, right? Now, Paul goes on and, and talks about how in this, in this passage he calls um, Satan an angel of light. What a term. Something good, an angel of light. And yet, so he's showing us that Satan loves to wrap himself up in something good and yet tells us evil. You see, Satan is the one who accuses us. Satan is the one who gets us to kind of buy into this works gospel because it plays into how our mind works. Well, of course, I must have to do good things in order to keep uh, God loving me. Because that's how we are. Right? That's how we treat one another. And so Satan does this. Satan's the one who's, who, who whispers in your ear, you know, God, God can't forgive you for that. He doesn't love you anymore. You're never going to have victory in that area. Just give up. It's not going to work. God doesn't love you. You're not worthy of his love. What are the lies that uh, you believe? What are the lies that Satan is throwing at you? Let me tell you. Let me tell you something. The story I told at the beginning of this sermon, that woman being taken advantage of, vulnerable in that place, that is Satan on a nice day. He loves to attack us when we're down. Loves to lie to us and tell us things. When we're already down on the ground, he just keeps it coming. We need to be aware of these things. What lies um, is he uh, throwing your way to get you to say, ah, works, I got to work harder, I got to get this, I got to earn my acceptance. I know for me, oftentimes uh, I am trying to get my identity um, out of how successful I am in ministry, whatever that even means, right? My identity is not secure, I'm looking for it uh, from other places and Satan, he loves that. Bad day, oh, I'm a terrible person. Um, uh, the lie that um, I'm a terrible dad, never going to get that together, gonna, never going to grow in that area. Satan loves to just hurl that on me, right? Um, Satan loves uh, for me to try to do everything on my own. Satan loves it uh, when, I, when I say to myself, you can't do that, so you're weak. 
You should be able to do everything on your own, and because you can't, you're such a weak man. That's what Satan loves to throw my way. Satan loves to throw my way that I'm not enough. And what's crazy is, that's true. (laughs) I'm not enough. What's crazy is, it's true that I can't do everything on my own, but I love to believe the lie that I can be enough. I believe the lie um, that uh, I can uh, do everything by myself and I don't need others. And Satan just loves it, just keeps hurling those lies at me. What, What lies are you believing? What false gospel is that bringing you into? I want to share uh, one other uh, of the false gospels that I would say is at play right now in our world, and that is what I would call a cultural gospel. A cultural gospel. This is, this is the gospel that says my cultural identity and my gospel identity are one and the same. We see this uh, a lot. We see this throughout Scripture. The Corinthians struggled with it. We see it in Galatians. Uh, when Paul comes to Peter and uh, confronts him to his face and says, you are not standing in line with the gospel. Why? Because Peter uh, was hanging out with some uh, non-Jewish Christians, um, and uh, he was loving it. He was hanging out. This was new, that we could be together, uh, even though the Jews and non-Jews, we could be together because of Christ now, and they're they're having uh, dinner together, they're fellowshipping together, and they're loving it, but then some Jews show up, And Peter, what does Peter do? He runs away. He starts putting distance between him and the Gentiles. Like, oh, no, 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 I don't hang out with those guys. Don't worry, don't worry, I'm with you, right? And he gets scared. And Paul looks him in the face and says, I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the what? The gospel. This happens to us today. Happens to us in our culture where our our Christian values um, guide us in the church. Then when we kind of go out, our American cultural values uh, win the day for us. So I would ask you, I'd put a, put a test out there for you. Um, are you, am I, uh, do I find myself more at home, more comfortable with people who share my uh, American values, um, even if they d- disagree with my Christian values? Do I find myself more at home there, because that's more comfortable? Or do I find myself more at home with people who share my Christian values, my Christian brothers and sisters, but they might critique and even disagree with my American values? Where do you find yourself? Uh, If you find yourself in the first place, if I find myself there, which we all do at different points, I would say we're struggling with a, a false gospel. The values that we hold of working harder and faster and better and earning more money and having more stuff and sometimes running over people if they get in the way of that, We have to reconcile that to the Bible, to reconcile that with our gospel identity. Please, I'm not bashing our country. I'm not bashing who we are. I'm just saying that's something we have to reconcile, right? So a a gospel of works, a cultural gospel, these are just a couple of the false gospels that lure us away and lead us astray. So I would, I would ask you this week to think through uh, where in your life is that, the, is that the case for you? What other false gospel might you be believing that's luring you away, that's just a small tick away from the truth? Um, I would ask you to consider those things. So we've got to know what the allure is. We've got to know what's pulling us away. Um, but then we also need to know where is the truth? What is uh, God's gospel? And so second, uh, this morning, I want to share with you the foolishness of God's gospel. The foolishness. Why do I pick that word? Well, verse 1, Paul says it right out. I wish you would bear with me in what? A little foolishness. Again, Paul is being sarcastic 
Um, but uh, he doesn't actually think that he is being foolish, but he knows in a worldly sense the gospel seems foolish. He knows in a worldly sense that who he is and the way he comes across his inability to be a great speaker and all these things, the message that he's preaching, it appears to be foolish. But that's the theme of the whole book. This is the theme of the letters that he writes to the Corinthians. What does he say? God chose the foolish things of the world to what? Shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to what? Shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast. So in the same way that we talked about the men and the manner and the message of a false gospel, I want to do the same for God's gospel. Who is, the, who, who is this man of God's gospel? Paul. Who is this man who's coming and preaching? Well, Paul, Paul had every reason to be the actual super apostle, right? <laughs> Paul had every reason, every, everything to brag about. Philippians 3 tells us all of his credentials. I had all of the education of the most educated of Jews. I knew the Bible backward and forward. I was a, a, a Pharisee as it regards to the law uh, for legalistic righteousness. Um, I nailed that. He had all that stuff. And then he goes on in the very next verse and says, but whatever was to my profit, I consider what? A loss for the sake of Christ. All that education, all the legalistic righteousness, he counts it all garbage, he says. And so even though he's the one who had a right to call himself the super apostle, what does he do? Sets it all aside. All the worldly accolades. To the point where the Corinthians look at him and say, what an unimpressive man. This is the man of God's gospel. So what's the manner in which he brought that gospel? What's the manner? Well, verse 7 says this. It's sort of surprising. This comes in uh, right here. But verse 7 says, Well, did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. Paul preached for free. And the Corinthians hated that. It was offensive to them that he wouldn't take their money. (laughs) And so he says, have I really sinned in doing that? And of course the answer is no, he didn't sin. But he was uh, playing into their perception that he was a bad speaker, bad preacher, because in their culture you paid people um, with all the speaking gifts. Because as I said earlier, if you don't pay them, then their message must be worthless. And so Paul comes, the manner in which Paul comes is not in deception, not in fancy words, not in any of these things, a simple uh, message. But Paul takes it a step further in verse 9. In verse 9 he says, And when I was with you and I was in need, I didn't burden any of you. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. Now if you were here a couple of weeks ago, I preached on 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Does anyone remember who the Macedonians were? The Macedonians, chapter 8, verse 2, out of the most severe trial, the Macedonians overflowing joy, and the Macedonians, what? Extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So let's put all this together. The way that Paul was supporting himself with the Corinthians, the wealthy church, the people who love to pay people lots of money to come and speak, he was supporting himself from the poorest of Christians. So much so that he says he was robbing them so that he could preach the gospel to the Corinthians. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Because remember the manner of a false gospel. It comes shrouded in all kinds of other stuff. It comes with deception and with lies and all of that. Paul wanted his message to be free of all that. 
It's free of deception. There, there's no power plays with God's gospel that Paul preached. Paul didn't have to preach with a, a certain big donor in mind, that he was afraid that if I say the wrong thing, they're going to stop giving me their money, and so I got to preach it, but I got to make sure I change it just a little bit. Paul said, no way. I'm going to preach simply because you have no power over me, he said to the Corinthians. No one owned him. No one owned Paul, and so his gospel was free from that. And he did all of that. His motive, therefore, wasn't money. His motive, verse 11, why do I do this? Why do I preach for free? Because I don't love you? No, God knows I love you. God knows I love you is what Paul said. So the man of God's gospel, Paul comes um, with, with uh, having everything to brag about and yet set it all aside. The manner in which he, come, he came was plain, simple, no shroud of deception. Now, what's the message? What's the message of God's um, gospel? What is the message? Well, the last part of verse 3, he pretty much summarizes it and says, uh, I, I want to make sure you're not led astray from what? A sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Trusting Christ. Following him. That was uh, Paul's message. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, earlier in, uh, from the previous letter, Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The message of God's gospel, you and I created in his image, designed for relationship with him. And yet, as we've already heard, um, Eve and Adam, deceived by the serpent, plunge us into uh, sin and death in every manner. So now the question is, what's the solution? And it's not the false gospels that we've named already, even though we're tempted to, a, we're allured into believing them. We're, we're, we're tempted to believe I've got to earn my way back to God and stay that way. That I've got to keep um, getting God to love me. We're lured to think I'm basically a good person, better than most, so God's got to accept me. Well, my friends, the gospel message says, no, you're far worse. We are far worse than we could ever imagine. And the solution's not good advice. It's not good advice, things to follow in order to get back um, to God. The solution is good news. It's the gospel means good news is the good news of what has been done for you, not by you. So it's been done for you by Jesus, that Jesus has obeyed in your place, that he has died in your place, has shed his blood in your place, and that we, as we trust in him, were given a free gift, comes to us at no cost, just like Paul preached the message for no cost. The gospel itself comes to us for free, and like a new set of clothing, we're covered in the, the, the gift of forgiveness for our sins and the righteousness that Jesus has earned uh, for us. Listen to me you're here this morning and you don't know that gospel, Jesus is by his spirit maybe knocking on the door of your heart saying, I'm, I'm here. You need me. There's no prerequisite for this gospel. The only prerequisite is that you know that you need him. That's it. Now we struggle with this. We struggle to accept this gospel. And I think there's two main reasons. 
The reasons we struggle to accept this gospel is we either think we're too good for it or we're too bad for it. It's that simple. There's many of us who think, well, I don't really need that, right? I think I, I'm going to earn my way. I, I, I can do good things. I can uh, keep uh, God pleased with me by all the, 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 the check boxes that I'm checking off on a daily basis. Uh, and so uh, I don't really need this gospel. Too good for it. On the other hand, there's some of us who are so down in the depths of sin and shame and guilt, we think there's no way God could love me like that. There's no way this gospel is good enough for me. It's good enough for some, but there's some stuff I've done that can't possibly uh, be covered. I would assure you, the gospel says no. He's covered it. Trust in him. So, some of us, many of us would say, okay, Eric, I know that. I got that part down. Um, I believe that. Uh, but what now? Where, where do we go from here? Um, and I, would, I, would, I want to let you know that the gospel is, is not the, the starting line, and that from here on out, it's up to us, uh, that it's in our own strength uh, to keep moving in the Christian life. The gospel is not the appetizer, uh, and we've got to provide the rest of the meal. No, the gospel is the meal. It's the meal where we come and receive on a daily uh, basis. The way we grow, the way that we are sanctified, the Bible's word for growth is the same thing. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Well, what do I mean by that? I think this is where many of us trip up. That God got me this far, but now I've got to work in order to become more like him. But I would tell you this, the work of growth, the work of growth it's not me trying harder in my own strength to act more like Jesus in my own strength. That is not how it works. The work of growth is actually to get lower. The work of growth is to continue to repent, to continue to see our sin with honest and open eyes and say, there it is. There's another place in life where, I'm, where I've fallen short. But not to go in shame and say, there it is again and I'm terrible, but to say, Look, here again is a place where I can receive the grace of God through Jesus in my life for where I have been broken. I can speak to you in honest terms. The way I have grown the most has been through repentance and belief, not by trying harder in my own strength. Every time I try harder in my own strength, I end up in a place of shame and doubt and all of these things. Um, but when I can look uh, at Jesus and see that I have sinned against him in a certain and specific way and say, here it is again, I want to tell you about this and that Jesus in his kindness gives grace uh, in these specific areas. Um, that is when he brings about growth. That is when he brings about healing. Growth for us as believers is, is a little bit like this. Imagine going to um, the doctor and the doctor lets you know, hey, you've got a disease um, inside of you, and it's truly um, going to take your life. But the doctor also says, but I know exactly where it is. I can pinpoint it, and I can go uh, in, we can uh, do surgery, uh, and it's going to be, of course, a little bit painful, but I, I can uh, take out uh, this disease. I can uh, clean up these areas. Um, when we hear that, we have a few choices, right? If, that was our, if we were standing in those shoes, we could listen to that and say, just ignore it. It's fine. Everything will be fine. Don't worry about that. I'll be okay, right? Um, our second option 
uh, is what I think a lot of us do, which is we say, I got it. And we go home and we try to put ourselves on the operating table. And we sort of do a self-incision and we try to get in there and clean it up and all this type of stuff. And how does that go? Make a big mess of it, right? The third option is getting up on the operating table and say, doctor, you know, I'm here. Shine the light on the broken parts. Take it out. Heal my body. Friends, brothers, sisters, that is what gospel growth looks like. Looks like us getting on the table and being honest about the places that are still broken and allowing Jesus uh, as we repent of our, of our sin in specific ways, allowing his, his grace to be extended to us, to be given to us, to, to, to root out that, that disease, and to bring healing and to bring wholeness. That is um, the growth that comes in the gospel. So as I close, I want to ask you, I want to invite you, will you come to that Jesus this morning? Will you give Jesus your whole heart, all the stuff, all the, the hard stuff, all the ugly stuff, the stuff that no one knows about, the stuff that the shame and the guilt and all that, and will you take it piece by piece and say, here, here you go. That's not an act of, of shame and walking around with our heads uh, bowed. No, we get to look Jesus in the eyes as we do it because he says, I died for that. And then he says, here's grace. Here's grace. Here's grace. Here's healing. And he heals us and he continues to make us more and more um, like him. Will you receive that grace from him this morning? Will you let him speak over you uh, your identity? That you, brothers and sisters, are his beloved. That you are sons and daughters of the most high God because of what Jesus has done uh, for you. Will you pray with me? Jesus, oh, how we need you. Holy Spirit, will you seal in our hearts the truth of the gospel, that though we are sinners um, separated from you by a chasm we cannot cross, that you have crossed it for us, that you have come and you have, have said, the good news is I have lived for you, I have died for you, have risen again to have victory over sin and death forever, and that we come to you that way, but not only do we come to you, we stand and walk with you in that way. Help us not to be allured away by a false gospel where we try to work to earn um, your favor, but that we get to live out of that favor, that we get to look you in the eyes, and even though we have sinned against you, we can say, here's my sin. Will you give grace? And you do, and do it with love. We thank you. Will you apply that to us now in Jesus' name? Amen.